Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the next installment of the Ortho Real podcast. We are privileged today to have a very special guest. Uh, this gentleman needs no introduction to a lot of folks in the MMA community, the orthopedic community, and the world of strength sports. He is a sports medicine surgeon from Orange, California, uh, specializing in orthopedic sports medicine care for fighters, strength athletes, and everyday folks. Please welcome Dr. Steve Mora. Matt, it's actually my pleasure. I'm super excited to be here. I heard uh, from uh, um, a colleague that you do this. Uh, I was excited to hear about it because I, I've heard that uh, you know, you're doing great things on your podcast, and, and it's actually my privilege to be on it, to be quite honest. I'm, I'm being sincere about that. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, it's an honor. You're a pretty big name uh, in the space. I know at one point you were one of the 10 most influential orthopedic surgeons on Twitter. Uh, We'll talk about that and social media a little bit. I think with orthopedic surgeons, there's this very classic history of the the athlete or the ex-athlete and they get injured maybe, or they've got a story about tearing their ACL, playing soccer in high school or something. Uh, you had a much earlier and much more uh, serious introduction to orthopedics. Uh, if you don't mind, can you share with our audience a little bit about that? No, I don't mind at all. And actually, I share it quite often with my patients because I believe uh, a couple of things. It's um, it's given my uh, uh, you know my experience as a as a patient. Uh, a little more meaning. It's become more meaningful in a way because uh, my my shared uh, su- uh, suffering and pain has uh, has helped me p- take care of patients and also has provided them hope. So I actually talk about it all the time because it, I, I feel that it's also part of the therapy. It's actually part of the, the my patient's treatment because they see somebody that's been through a, a significant trauma in their life and that trauma was being run over by a bus at a very young age uh, while living in a third world country and then and then having to experience the shortcomings of of uh, medical care in a, in a third world country which ended up uh, in my case leading to infections deformities growth disturbances uh, and i eventually uh, made it to the united states and i was uh, treated at Shriners Hospital. Uh, it was known as Shriners Hospital for Crippled Children back then. I had suffered uh, a bilateral or both femurs were fractured, open fractures, the bones were sticking out, basically mangled extremities when I was run over by a bus. So there was a lot of damage done. And in the end, the sequela of something like this, there's always sequela when you have a mangled extremity. The sequela is, uh, is, uh, was a leg that was deformed, shortened, and required multiple surgeries, including a very novel procedure back in the early 80s that wasn't being done yet. Actually, it was just starting to be done, and that was leg lengthening. So I was um, able to to get my leg back to to almost the proper length as the other leg through a leg lengthening procedure, which was very new back then, using a... um, an, a German device that's no longer used anymore. So I went through numerous surgeries, distal femoral osteotomies, uh, tibial tubercle osteotomies, 
uh, leg lengthening. I, w- I was on crutches for six months at one point in my life. How old were you when you got to the U.S.? Uh, well, I was uh, five. I came to the U.S. when I was six, and I was I was hit right around maybe four years old. So then I and I had an, and I ended up having an open wound with a with a joint infection. And you know, I lived in a body cast for many for many months, which is what we used to do anyways. You know, for kids with fractures, but it was an you know, but a lot of open fractures, so they had windowed the cast and had to do wound care and all that stuff. So it was a, it was a difficult experience for my family, and so that's one take home point that I that I always remember. It's a difficult experience for the family, and I'm able to so I'm able to uh, to um, to to be sympathize with my patients families as well because i know it's hard for them you know so that's that's one thing that was that was learned from that experience and the other one is that our bodies heal you know our bodies can heal it can take years to heal but it can so when i see patients that are worried that they're still having pain six weeks after some sort of reconstructive surgery i remind them look it might take six to nine months it might even take a year but there's a there's a there is possibility a good possibility that it could happen because guess what it happened to me you know my wounds closed my infection resolved my leg was straight you know etc right and then the last thing that ha- that i learned i think the the third point was that over time over time these injuries have secondary consequences over time and that's post-traumatic degeneration and post-traumatic degeneration of a joint usually leads to stiffness swelling you know uh, pain with activities and it worsens over time now that i'm 55 years old it is worse than than it was 10 years ago so what i've learned from that experience and what i what i teach my patients is you have to not let that happen or or decrease the chance of what happened to me happen to you by stretching staying light being flexible staying strong uh, and doing things for the rest of your life so that you don't uh so that it doesn't uh, worsen because if you think it's bad now it's going to be worse later so those are the the the, i think the important points that i've learned as as a patient that i'm able to use for my own patients and they really do appreciate it and that's why i do bring up the story i don't really want to pat in the back and you know patients would say oh my god you suffered so much i really don't care about that it's really more about the experience that i'm able to to use to help them well, and you do share a lot of that, and from what I've seen from you, you've certainly got a big presence on Instagram and Twitter, and what I see coming from you is inspiration and guidance for patients of of that strong emphasis on mobility and flexibility and healthy living and things to uh, preserve uh, what you do have and maintain that function. Was that then from that injury and that experience was that sort of a straight line to orthopedics of, Hey, I want to do this. I, I, I want to, I want to do what was, was done to me. I want to help people this way. Or was it uh, more roundabout than that? Uh, it, there, it was, um, it was mostly that at least I was introduced to the medical field and orthopedic surgery uh, by being on the, you know, on the other, on the receiving end. So I was introduced to this uh, field uh, I was able to see an operating room. You know, I walked into an operating room. Actually, I wheeled myself into an operating room when I was at Shriners Hospital. I was, I was. It's a funny story because it's it's part of this story that you're talking about the roundabout way how it happened. You know, I was uh, there was a, a 
a, a janitor that was cleaning up after surgery and I, I could see him down the hall and I knew he was by the operating room at Shriners in LA where, where I was treated and I, I I was kind of a mischievous kid when I was growing up very uh, interested in everything and anything you know that's part of the reason why I think we're, we are orthopedic surgeons because we're interested in things so I I, I asked him to, to to allow me in the operating room it was closed it was after hours so I wheeled myself over he goes yeah 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 you know the double doors open up and I, and man, it was, it was like a love at first sight. Uh, so that was the first time I got a glimpse of the operating room, you know, without being under general anesthesia, <laughs> without having a mask on my face. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just loved the smell. I loved how everything looked, the stainless steel and all this. So I thought this is an amazing place. And then later on, as I became older, I realized that I had a, you know, a, a special talent or gift. Uh, working with my hands, I was a very good artist. I could uh, take apart a fishing reel, a, you know, pen centered or fishing reel, and put it back together again. Back and you know, every little screw. Uh, I worked on on old cars, on Mustangs, and I could take them apart, put them back together again. And I realized, hey, I got pretty good skills here. You know, I can do something with with this skill set. And initially, it was going to be either an artist, a woodworker, but then you know, I always I was always drawn back to this experience that I had. And then uh, and adding to the fact that I, I felt that I could help people uh, with this experience, what you said initially, yeah. you know, straight line thing. So it was a little bit of both. Uh, it was a little bit of both. Uh, and and uh, every one of those experiences were important as far as getting me here. Well, I, I won't belabor that, but I, I just think that's an incredible legacy for that surgeon and those surgeons that, that worked you to worked on you rather to, uh, to not only help a young man, uh, be upright and able to, to walk and have these deformities corrected. Uh, but then to have another step in that legacy for him to turn around and do the same thing for a lot of people. I think that's, uh, that's powerful. I just, uh, I feel that a lot. So that's awesome. I, I felt, uh, you know, one other thing, Matt, that I thought was important too, you know, was uh, paying it forward. Uh, the care that we receive at Shriners Hospital is is free care. It's charitable care. There's there's uh, you know this uh, uh, group, the Shriners. They uh, they sponsor the families. You know, they, they'll sponsor a family. Uh, there's an application process involved, and um, I don't have the name of the Shriner family that, that sponsored me, but somebody did. You know, so I always feel that it's important to to uh, uh, pay these uh, uh, these uh, 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 charitable, you know, uh, actions that we got in the past by doing the same, and because of that, uh, the way I pay it forward is not just helping people out here in my office, but I do medical missions as well. I went back to Shriners Hospital. I volunteered for a while, um, and I even worked with surgeons that worked on me as a child. And now I work. I've oh, worked wow. with them as a as colleagues. Oh wow! Yeah, that's full circle. Uh, that's powerful. It's been an incredible circle of life journey. That's an incredible story, Steve. Um, so, a lot of folks are probably listening to this podcast in their car. They're catching us on uh, iTunes or wherever all they get their podcast. But uh, some of them are, are watching it on YouTube, and if they've got the video of you, I'm looking at this cool office restore and in the background 
Michael the Count Bisping, Joe Rogan. There's a UFC championship belt up there. Uh, you have uh, wound up being the uh, the celebrity doc to uh, a lot of UFC fighters. Can you tell me about how that happened and uh, what's going on with that? Well, you know, as as we talked about, uh, you know, the importance of staying uh, fit and strong when when one has arthritis or degeneration of the knee or something. Uh, I've always uh, felt that for me, it's a, it's a, it's very important. So for uh, many years ago, not many years ago, like uh, 12 years ago, I started doing some boxing and kickboxing at a local uh, uh, MMA gym uh, as a client uh, to stay fit. After work, I'd go, you know, work up a sweat, big puddle on the ground. I mean, they work you hard in these gyms. It is an extreme workout. And, and I've always been somewhat of an extreme person when it comes to working out. So it was perfect, right, right down my alley. So I, I'd work out there, and I got to meet some fighters that were, uh, they were actually um, teachers there and instructors there. That's what they do when they're when they're fighting. They're actually their side gig is usually teaching. So I met some people like um, Quentin Rampage Jackson, um, Robert Emerson, uh, a few other guys there that uh, met me before they were big names and. Uh, they liked the fact that I was approachable. They knew I was an orthopedic surgeon. They knew I like to work hard uh, because I, I do so there. And then they could approach me with their with little questions they had about injuries. So they uh, they liked that, and they became some of them became my patients. And then word got around that you know that I understood uh, mixed martial arts injuries, and I in 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 some way I did because I was around it all the time. I never rolled on the mat, but I knew enough jujitsu guys and um, and boxers and kickboxers to know the language. And I also knew one other thing: I know the culture. It's not just about knowing, uh, you know, what an armbar is or you know or, or anaconda or whatever. It's not just about that. It's about approachability and understanding their needs so because i was able to do that uh then uh i, I became uh, a guy a, a go-to guy and um and now i now you know it, it took a few years but now i am a guy that people come to see who have uh, who get hurt and i literally see him the next day after you see him on saturday they're in the office on monday i'm fortunate it's a blessing it's a real blessing I've wondered if that helped to speak the language. If somebody can walk in and say, "Oh, I got caught in a key locker in Americana," and you go, "Okay, I know your shoulder went this way. Here's what happened, or here's what likely happened," and they're not sitting there trying to explain it to you uh, in real time, so you can see what's going on. You've got a real insight into what to expect in that situation. That's uh, that's part of it, Matt. But the other part is this: um, they need to get back training. And they need to get back into camp soon. They need they need to uh, they need to uh, also be uh, able to show that they're training. You know, they make money on social media as well. I mean, a lot of these guys do. You know, they make money on whatever it is YouTube or or they or they they train people. You know, so they they need to put money on the table or food on the table. Uh, and to do so, they have to get back on their feet. So I, I understand that, and we can't. Um, send somebody for physical therapy for six months, you know, unless of course that's absolutely necessary and there's no, no other way, but you don't just operate on them either because they don't really want surgery because they know that they will be out for six months. So you have to right. kind of figure out ways to, to, if 
find the balance that allows um, a good recovery, that allows them to get back to training at close to 100% as fast as possible uh, without delays. Uh, the last thing they want is surgery, but you know, if you have an ulna fracture, a displaced ulna fracture following a leg kick to the arm, surgery the next day. Don't even put them in a in long arm cast. Uh, I mean, if you want, you can. Uh, if it's totally non-displaced, yeah, it'll heal. But uh, something, something, for example, like an ulna fracture of the forearm, uh, it's best to just tr literally treat it the next day because uh, the other, you know, the other yeah, uh, the clock's thing running. They're is ready to get back. You got to get work. the hardware out too. Believe it or not, you got to get the hardware out in these guys because they refracture, and and a lot of a lot of doctors don't know that, and they'll they'll treat them, they'll heal, and then they go do a hammer fist, and then they refracture their forearm. So that's the other thing. If you got to operate, you got to do like get it get it done fast, do it right. I call it bulletproof repair, and then and then hopefully get them back on the mat or being able to get into camp again soon because it's a big problem. You know, they don't make money unless they're fighting. Uh, I see a lot of these guys uh, and some big names, like you said, certainly uh, Mike Bisping, Rampage Jackson. Um, how many uh, professional-level uh, fighters have you uh, worked on or worked with at this point? Well, the belt behind me is just a few pictures of some of the champions. You know, the belt was given to me by by someone, uh, by a fighter who'd rather me not say who. But uh, it's it's there's those are just champions back there. There's uh, I, I I can't say how many, but um, the good news is that there are a lot of fighters, uh, professional, uh, semi-professional and mixed in mixed martial arts whether it's um ufc or bellator in this area southern california so i happen to just be in the right place at the right time you know if i was in uh fresno i'd probably have i mean i'd have less fighters sure well and, and we have some but probably not as many if you were in mobile alabama either right yeah this, spot uh, for it. this is a night is for it it's a night it's the, the you know huntington beach area um for whatever reason, there there are a lot of gyms out here, so I can't tell you how many. But there's a lot, and if you go on my Instagram site, you know there's a, <laughs> there's a, there's a video that has a whole bunch of fighters on there, you know. So, like I said, I, I I'm very blessed. I did a I did a sports medicine fellowship, uh, doing mostly soccer injuries with Burt Mandelbaum in Santa Monica. That was my fellowship. I thought I was going to be doing soccer injuries all day long. Uh, coming to Southern California or staying in Southern California because this is an area that's uh, that has a lot of soccer players as well. But then, and then here I am doing uh, MMA injuries. Well, you have another uh, niche as well. I, um, you know, while never doing it at any kind of high level, grew up around uh, gyms and strength sports and have an interest in that. Uh, Dave Tate, um, elite level power lifter, former uh, West Side Barbell guy and founder of Elite FTS, was on our podcast and talked about his hip replacements uh, with us a bit. Um, but talk to me about bodybuilders and powerlifters. You, you've become sort of this go-to guy nationally for uh, pectoralis reconstructions. Yes. Um, once again, you know, it's something that just fell into my lap in a way. Uh, it started out because... Uh, years ago, I took care of a police officer who had been injured. Uh, he had a pec tear. Somebody tried to, you know, pull away from him, and he and uh, he tore his pec. 
and he uh, didn't get it fixed for many years. And um, well, and let me let me back that up. Let me back that up too. And this is this is easy for me because I'm I'm a simple man who replaces knees and hips all day, and and so I don't deal with these injuries a lot. But for uh, the patients or the non orthopedic folks in our office, this is the chest muscle, the pec, and the tendon of it tearing away from your arm uh, during an injury like you described. And so to your point, a lot of times these are these are not fixed surgically. And, and maybe you can kind of talk about that and what that might look like in a, let's call them a, a regular person uh, versus a, a high-level athlete and how those differ. Yeah, so yes, um, it's the uh, muscle that uh, you find the, in the chest wall. It's that muscle that that uh, most men, including myself, want it built up so that it can give me that uh, V-shaped in the front. Uh, and it's the one that provides us push-off strength. So if we want to push a weight away from our chest, such as during chest or a bench press, that's the one that provides that power. And it's also the, uh, the tendon that is torn during bench press and it really has to do with um, the bench actually it has to do with the barbell and the bench uh, 90 percent of these tears happen with bench press and it's i mean to get technical or maybe not so technical but i think it's real important that people know this anyone who's listening to your podcast right now who's who does bench press for fun or or it's not just for fun but but uh, uh for fitness um they, they should know this and, and this is what they should know. Bench press is the most common way to tear your, your, your pectoralis major tendon, which is your chest wall muscle. Why does it happen? Uh, is it, does it happen because you're not warmed up? Probably not, to some degree, maybe it is to some degree. Uh, does it happen because you're not well hydrated? Possibly to some degree as well. A lot of, the, a lot of my patients tell me that they just weren't hydrated like the way they normally are when they, when they tear their chest. Uh, but what, why does it really happen? And it's a physics problem. Basically, the muscle is out to full length, uh, which is right when the barbell is touching your chest. Your 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 pec is at full length. It can't go anymore. And then right when it's touching your chest, you're going full force. Like you are not. That's when you start to really push, and you're actually slowing it down before it touches your chest. So you're already going full force. So the muscle is lengthening, and the force is pulling the other way. As it happens, we call that an eccentric injury, uh, and the and you end up tearing your 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 uh, your muscle and tendon right off the bone, which is in the upper arm. So that's your pec tear. That's your pectoralis major tendon tear. And when it happens, you feel a pop. So, so for your audience, uh, if they if they do bench press, if they feel a pop in their chest wall and their arm gets bruised, not the chest, the arm gets bruised, they have a pectoralis major tendon tear. The best thing to do is run to see you and get it fixed okay so <laughs> that's the best thing to, to do unfortunately it doesn't happen and, and usually usually not subtle that's going to sound like a towel tearing in half uh, or a pop or something something pretty noticeable yeah it's noticeable it's like a towel or yeah a major rip every you know if you go on instagram there's hundreds of videos showing these things i don't like to show these tears uh i did post one recently but i didn't actually show the moment it happened because i think it's gruesome and i don't like to show someone at the moment that their suffering begins you know so uh but i did post about it uh about when that recently happened so the problem that happens as to why they don't get repaired on time 
is is twofold. One is they go see a surgeon that says it's a muscular tear, so I can't fix it. So that's mistake number one. Or number two is the surgeon will say, it's just a peck, you're going to do fine, you know, and then they don't get fixed. And, the, and, and the, the physician may not understand that if it's a bodybuilder or someone like you or or, or me, we want to have a, a, a we don't want to have a deformity, a concavity. So that's what ends up happening. They end up having concavities in their chest, uh, a little bit of weakness, but mostly uh, unsightly or asymmetrical looking chest. And, and I... Uh, this happened to the police officer, like I was saying uh, many years ago. And, uh, you know, I was trained at LA County USC. We learned very, very uh, sound surgical concepts dealing with trauma, uh, including tendon transfers as well. Uh, and I just thought, I, I don't see why I can't fix this. You know, mobilize the muscle, get it off the rib cage, um, mobilize it really well, and then span the gap with a tendon and weave it in really well. Um, do everything possible to avoid infections. That's one thing that I, that I learned at LA County USC is how to decrease the risk of infection because you know we dealt with that a lot over there. And that's the number one complication with a PEC repair is infection. So I did that and then, um, you know, then I got to talk at an international meeting last year uh, talking about my my repair, which I, called, I call it the PEC Flex Fix, just for fun, the PEC Flex Fix. Uh, and, um, you know, and now I'm having these um, big time bodybuilders, power lifters, bodybuilders, strongmen. Uh, they want a solid repair. Is that repair different for strength sports versus bodybuilding? Um, obviously, you got a cosmetic aspect versus a functional aspect, or is it just putting it back in the right place anatomically and getting it to heal? <clears throat> a little bit of both, but yeah, it does. Um, you know, let's say you're dealing with a power lifter. You know, powerlifters are different animals. They they they're more they're not so totally concerned with the incision, okay, or the scar. They just want to be able to lift a, you know, six hundred or bench, you know, six hundred pounds. So it's a little bit different. You know, technically the surgery is a little bit more a little bit um, more technical because you're dealing with larger vessels, large way much larger vessels. They're much more vascular. Uh, there's much more muscle mass, so maybe deeper retractors. You got to be a little careful. Uh, and, um, you know, the, the, and then, and then in terms of where you put it is very important because of what I mentioned, it, the tears occur because of a, a physics problem, a force, uh, and, and a failure problem, you know, so a material failure problem. So you don't want to put it too low because now you're stretching it out sooner than it normally would if it was a native tendon, native muscle. So you don't want to put it even like a centimeter too low. You don't even want to do that on a power lifter. You want to, if you're going to stray, you're going to stray a little proximal, just a little bit proximal. You don't want to put it too loose because then they don't generate the same power. So, but you don't want to put it, you don't want to put it too low. That's number one. Sometimes I use four anchors and, you know, four um, uh, anchors instead of three on these guys because the tendons are really broad. And and if it is a myotendinous tear, I'll add dermal allograft, uh, like a, uh, added like a taco, like a taco technique to uh, the dermal allograft will serve as a, as a, the tendon, even though it's not chronic. That's very interesting. And uh, you've got people now really from, from all over the country and all over the world coming in uh, for you to treat these injuries for them. Yeah, it's like I said, it's a, it's a, it's a blessing. And, um, and, and I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm comfortable with the air, with that anatomy because a lot of uh, us 
orthopedic surgeons, you know, we we don't we tend not to do a lot of work in the armpit area. Um, it's kind of a place where we're, we're told to stay away from. <laughs> you stay away from the sure. tracheal plexus, you know, stay away from subcortical area. You know, we're told to stay away from these areas, right? And here I am going like, yep, that's where I'm going, right there. <laughs> well, and certainly around the axilla, maybe some concern for infection, as you talked about, uh, being the big complication here. So totally understand that. Um, so like me, but but amplified times 100, you've got uh, a big interest and big presence on uh, on social media. Can you tell me about that and how you got started there? Yeah, I started out on social media partly because this guy's behind me or the jersey of, or the shirt of Michael Bisbing. Uh, I was, um, you know, years ago, years ago, I was sewing uh, a brow laceration that he had just before he went out, just before he left town. He got he got cut uh, sparring. And as I'm sewing him up here in the office right over here, he, he asked me, he goes, hey, Doc. Are you on, are you on Instagram? I'm like, no, man. Like, I'm not gonna. What's that for? <laughs> Posting pictures of my family? Like, well, I don't want to do that. He goes, no, Doc. We're all we're all on it right now. You know, you got to get on it. I said, well, I'm on Twitter. He goes, no, no, Twitter's all. Don't do Twitter. Even though Twitter is kind of <laughs> like he's on Twitter all the time now. You know. <laughs> so, so then, um, so I, I found social media an interesting, an, a very interesting platform for a couple of reasons. One is, um. I thought that it'd be a great place to educate people. You know, I, I felt that uh, Google, you know how people, will, uh, some physicians, in, when Google first came out, they didn't really like Google because people would Google conditions and they'd come in with answers or whatever. I always thought that was helpful, actually, the patient educated themselves. So I knew that patients were educating themselves on, on the internet. I, I mean, they were, we couldn't stop it. The horse was out of the barn. It wasn't going to stop, you know? So I thought, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to be, part of that educational process online and and talk educational and talk about uh things that i see and uh there was a surgeon in um in new york howard lux who helped who uh who helped me uh, with my social media in terms of the messaging he said hey steve just pretend that you're talking to your last patient of the day and the same thing that you say to that patient just say it on say it on your uh uh on your blog i was blogging back then and uh, just pretend you're talking to the patient uh, as because e easy language, use easy language to understand and do that every day. So uh, so I would do that. And then I, I thought then I got into Instagram because of Michael. And I thought that's uh, that was a really easy platform uh, to work uh, on because uh, a lot of my my own patients uh, and and people that I treated uh, with similar types of injuries were on it. So it was really a very easy, very easy way to. Uh, to magnify, uh, you know, uh, my message. So I call it um, uh, being educating. It's it's an educating experience. It's, you got to educate a little bit. You got to entertain a little bit. Nobody wants to see broken bones with blood. Uh, I mean, except for orthopedic surgeons. So if you post bones, you know, broken bones with blood, you're going to get a few orthopedic surgeons following you and some people that just want to see blood. But that's why I don't. So that's why I don't do too much of that. So that's how I got into it, and then I ended up giving talks on social media, you know, years ago, uh, different academies, and um, it was there wasn't a lot of interest when I first started doing it, 
uh, now there's a lot more interest. You know, uh, uh, Matt Pfeiffer just gave a talk recently, and a lot of people were interested in that. Yeah, that's a great start to it, and I think uh, Mike Bisping has had a big presence with that and kind of documented even through the process with his knee replacement a few years ago. Um, that may have been one of one of your partners or someone in the area there. I, and I, I will say that I, I think you do that as well uh, with a lot of your content. It's educational for patients and even a little uh, technical things for surgeons or non-surgeons. I see you doing injections and kind of talking through uh, treatment with uh, biologic therapies and even some of the things that you've used yourself. Uh, could you comment on any of that? Well, I, I was able to uh, use social media once again to uh, talk about my own injuries so that I can hopefully hopefully uh, instill some hope in people. You know, I, I suffer with uh, with pain on a daily basis. I don't I don't want to take Motrin on a daily basis. Uh, I don't want to hurt my stomach or my kidneys. Uh, so uh, I know that a lot of my own patients um, have the same problem, the same concerns, uh, you know, the same challenges. So I, I thought, you know, every so every once in a while, I do kind of pepper my social media with some of my own experiences. You know, I, I got a new brace uh, at the academy. I thought it was really nice. I shared that. I share everything that helps me with my problem, I believe can help uh, patients that have the similar problem. And as you know, Matt, being a joint replacement doctor, there's a lot of people suffering with arthritis, a lot of them. And some of them uh, do just need a joint replacement. Some of them do. Just give them a joint replacement, do it well, like you do, get them back on their feet, and they'll never see you again. And that's that's a, a wonderful uh, uh, situation there. But some pa patients cannot have surgery for whatever reason. They're not ready to have surgery for whatever reason. They're not good surgical candidates like myself. So I share all those experiences on my social media. Anything that's positive, uh, that's helpful, I'm going to share it because I'm doing it to hopefully um, make a difference in someone's life. Well, you're exactly right, and joint replacements are, are awesome operations. I mean, I'm real biased there, but it's a, it's a bell you can't unring. I mean, once you have that hip or knee implant, you'll you'll always have one, and if that one fails, you're going to have to have another one, and it's going to be uh, bigger and more involved. So especially for younger patients when there's these other options that they can pursue uh, before that joint replacement and, and buy time and get relief and continue to do what they want to do, uh, that's awesome, and I think the way that you've shared that and uh, educated and provided entertainment is uh, is a beautiful way that you are uh, paying it forward there. Well, thank you, Matt. But you know, I do have to say that when it's time to get a joint replacement, the one thing that I do tell my patients is see someone that only does joint replacements, uh, see someone that has some experience under their belt, uh, and someone that's uh, a good guy that's going to listen to you and help you if you have a complication. You know, so I honestly, I was impressed with some of your videos on LinkedIn. You know, they're hilarious because, you know, you just have your scrubs on. Uh, I wear like a suit most of the time. You got your scrubs on, you know, <laughs> and you're talking to a patient. No, you, you're, su you're super dapper. I'm keeping it real informal here. I'll be honest. I know you are. I need to you up know, my game. Um, but it's very effective. I mean, it's <clears> extremely, <throat> I, I, I look at style. I look at style when people are presenting on social media because I learn from people. That's how that's what's helped me. Uh, and I, I like the fact that you just, you know, you, you the, the point of the post 
I, I believe, is to show that uh, patients can do well. That's what your your the point is, and the point is also they can have good range of motion uh, as well, because you do you do show pretty good range of motion as well. So um, and, and the patients seem to be happy as well. And, and I, I I do like how you you present it. By the way, I think it is informal, but there's also something beautiful about the informality of it. It's actually it's really it's it's good. You do a really nice job about it. You know, um, just wanted to. I'm not I'm not you know trying to you know stroke your ego. I'm just telling you that I noticed your post because of that style. Well, no, that's very kind of you. And I, I honestly, I think that's a. Uh if I could tell other surgeons, that's an authenticity thing. Uh, authenticity trumps everything, period, uh, full stop. And, you know, just be who you are. Uh, it's what you said. It's using that same language and, and talking to your pa- talking to an audience the same way you talk to your patient. And then exactly what you said of having, as a patient, somebody that you can communicate with. And it may not be me, right? I mean, I may be a different style than what a patient's looking for. You may be, but they can find somebody that they can communicate with. And I, I do think that's important. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's critical. Um, you know, and I think that, um, you know, like just going back to what I was saying, I do tell patients that if they need a knee replacement, get your knee replacement, just get it done. Don't even wait. But I'll be happy to help them with whatever they they whatever I can, if you're not quite ready for it. Well, you are a celebrity sports doctor, a true sports doctor, taking care of a ton of athletes. Uh, Interestingly, a lot in uh, fight and strength sports. Uh, What's next for you? Is it more of this? Have you got certain uh, passion projects you're working on right now or or just continuing this, uh, this beautiful legacy you've built up? Well, I'm, I'm going to, what I'm doing now is just collecting my data with my pec repairs. Um, I, I'm also uh, doing something somewhat novel with ACL reconstruction, uh, wrapping the ACLs with amniotic wrap to uh, protect the graft, uh, protect it from the, uh, uh, the surrounding milieu. Uh, and then uh, do, and doing a study, I'm doing a study uh, with a tissue company uh, to see if the, if the tendon as the graft incorporates faster, we're going to do MRI studies, follow it along, see how that works. So I'm, I'm actually just trying to do some data collection and now more than anything else, I can do some publishing. Uh, but no, I have a really nice practice here in Orange. It's a it's a it's a dream practice. Uh, we built it from the ground up eight years ago. Uh, a restore Orthopedics and Spine Center. We have you know imaging surgery center. Uh, we uh, this is a, a a dream. It's a dream type of practice that I love. Um, you know, I still do my my sports and things like that. But in terms of just what I, what I have going on professionally, it's uh, just to uh, make it make uh, make whoever's in front of me better and get a high front high five from them at some point in the near future. And and that's the, the only reward that I'm looking for. Awesome. I don't think you can do any better than that. And I think that's its own reward. All right. So. There, there can't be many. There can't be many. But if there are a few people out there that would be listening to this that are not following you on social media, how do they find you? Um, 
Well, it's if they want to find me on Instagram, just just uh, type in my name, Steve Mora MD. That's that's just plain old Steve Steve Mora M like Mary O R A M D. Uh, I'm on I'm on uh, Twitter as well. You can put the same name or my orthodoc. But um, those are the main platforms I use. I'm on LinkedIn, of course, for uh, the, uh, the professional part of it. Um, but those are the two main platforms I use. I actually use Twitter and Instagram. And, and the nice thing about uh, these platforms is I, I do believe that social media is meant for us to be social. You know, I don't have a, uh, a person in the background uh, responding. I do all the replies. So if you find a post that you that you think is interesting or that is relevant to your problem, um, give me, you know, comment, give me a little time. But uh, there will be a reply from Steve Mora, MD. Okay, so uh, that's the uh, that that's something that I can promise. So that's what I uh, uh, what I do. And hopefully, uh, if you if somebody is listening and they want to uh, reach out to me, do it. I'm here. Uh, I'm available. And if you're in Orange, uh, come by to Restore the Peaks and Spine Center. Uh, I'll take care of you here as well. Uh, what if they're not in orange? Are they a strength athlete or a combat athlete from anywhere, and they're they're looking to uh, see the same surgeon as the big boys? Uh, restore orthopedics and spine. How do they reach out to you? Well, you know the big. I got uh, the big boys can follow me on PecTearMD. Uh, that's my other Instagram site. I didn't mention that. It's called PecTearMD. Um, but all they have to do is uh, find my website, my orthodoc. That's my website myorthodoc.com and there's a button there you can press that that allows you to request a virtual visit uh so if you uh if you live uh somewhere back east or some other country and and you just want to uh get my input on something i'll be more than happy to help uh it, that um, request form gets filled out and it comes to one of my assistants and they'll contact you and we'll set up a virtual visit just like what what, what you and i are doing right here matt i set up a virtual visit just like this and um and help the patient and oftentimes that visit leads or that virtual visit actually leads to a face-to-face visit uh, just later on down the line awesome thank you so much uh steve this has been a pleasure to see your passion and your focus and your specialization and the ability to get really really good at a few things and bring those to bear uh, on behalf of your patients. It's awesome. It makes me want to jump up from this table and go practice some orthopedics. Uh, I can't thank you enough for being on. Uh, thank you so much. Hey, Matt, uh, same here. Great job taking care of your patients. You know, I, I, if I needed a knee replacement and I was in your area, you know that I'd be coming to you. I know you do a great job and you take care of your patients and that's what uh, makes a difference. So I wanted to just say once again, thank you for letting me be on your podcast. It's been my privilege, and hopefully we'll run into each other at another meeting, and we will also continue to communicate via our social media platforms. I'll look forward to it, sir. Thank you.